0: Well, uh, we are going to be talking a bit, um, we want to kind of talk somewhat about our kind of longevity of marriage, okay, so from, as it will be uh, this year, 44 years married, (coughs) and um, and are there some things that actually for Anne and I, they were just helpful things for us uh, in terms of our marriage, Um, and we spent quite a lot of time sort of thinking about this point because we're also aware that sort of coming here and, you know, it's not kind of a a marriage weekend, which is next weekend, uh, (laughs) but actually, you know, speaking to you guys, um, some of you will be married and some of you aren't, and some of you haven't at this moment in time got a prospect of that happening. So we we don't want to kind of just kind of pitch into this point of those about to get married or those that are married. We, we want to sort of say, are there things that you could be doing now uh, in your life that can actually just be just done good preparation uh, for you, um, whether you get married or not? And so that's where we're pitching. Um, and as we kind of looked at it, we thought, actually there really are. There's some great stuff and we're going to kind of talk a bit out of um, Colossians 3 uh, at some principles. So we're using some of the principles that when Paul spoke um, and, and wrote that letter to the Colossian church, he was speaking to people that were married, people that weren't married, people that maybe were widows and, and so on. So he was speaking into a whole different mix of uh, mix of the church. And um, I think he just brought some great things. So we're going to, that's where we're going. Um, I'm going to speak first, then Anne's going to take over, uh, and then I'm going to kind of finish it off. And maybe, maybe we've got a time to actually pray for, for us at the end as well. That would be great. Um, I'm going to sort of start with some slightly scary um, divorce stats, okay? Um, we live in a society where divorce is a very real thing, um, the most common age for men to ask for a divorce is between the ages of forty-five and forty-nine. Um, women, it's actually younger; it's thirty to thirty-nine. Um, you are most likely, in terms of looking at those people that have actually applied for divorce, so looking at these stats, stats are mostly two thousand and sixteen. Okay, um, are mostly between your fourth anniversary. And your eighth anniversary, so this thing, this thing about the seven-year itch obviously has some truth in it. Okay, so there's a there's a sense that actually starts well, and then kind of what happens to that. And I guess that's an important point. What happens to that? What what is it that actually for us should not be the case as Christians? We'd love to believe that these stats are well. Yeah, that's that's for. Secular non Christian people, it must be very different. But actually, um, George Barmer, the, uh, which is looking at data, um, looked at some of this for Christians and found that actually respondents were as likely as anyone else to get divorced. The Christian category included people who, had, who profess a belief system but do not live a committed lifestyle. However, this is the good news that the divorce rate was 27 to 50 percent lower for those that were actually regular committed churchgoers. So, the, so if you are a committed Christian who's saying church is a regular thing in my life, actually, you've got a lot, lot less chance of getting divorced. However, the bad news is that if you're kind of nominal Christian. <laughs> You actually have a twenty percent more more likely than the general population to get divorced, which is a horrifying stat, isn't it? Uh, that actually it's saying that that nominal Christians are more likely. I mean, that's kind of I was shocked to find that. Paul has a lot to say about building good foundations and we've had a lot of that in uh, our Ephesians series that we've um, kind of coming to an end now on that we've been doing in the morning. Uh, Ephesians 2 and also 1 Corinthians 3 is about laying good foundations of good theology and good teaching based on Jesus Christ. We're not just, first slide please, we're not just building a tent but we're laying foundations that will remain for decades that's true for us in terms of our marriages it's also true for us in terms of our own lives it's not just a quick kind of let's prop it up and you know let's have a party uh this is something that needs to remain we've got to build in foundations um we, in this country, we have very exact building control, which is a good thing. Um, a building inspector needs to come along, examine the proposed plan construction, make sure it, in fact, is within the limits of the agreed foundation. What happens to a, a building that is actually kind of off, not on the proper foundation? What happens to that? We know what happens to that, don't we? Let's, we get cracks. Okay, cracks develop. And I think we could say the same thing about our own lives and about marriages. Okay, cracks can develop because actually we haven't put in good, proper foundations into our life. We've put a temporary structure up and thought, oh, what I'll do. Well, the trouble is it looks okay to start with. Later on, you get this. We need to put in some biblical boundaries they're for good. They're not there to rob us of joy, but to build marriages that are strong enough. They give a safe place, not only for us, but for our, our children, if we have them, to thrive. Um, and our marriages don't just affect our lives. They affect loads of other people. Our own lives, so whether we're married or not, actually, we're not just an island. We affect lots of other people. And it's important that we actually build our lives on good, strong foundations. So, we're going to basically talk into five key points that we've taken out of the scripture. Okay, you can see those on the slide. Uh, These are things that we can work on now, whether we're married or not. Um, And also, if we're married, we need to really be thinking about these things. Because they really do help us in terms of build strong and long-lasting marriages. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of talk about the point which is going to be linked to part of this scripture in uh, Colossians 3. Uh, so we're going to read a bit of scripture out. Then we're going to do a bit of application as to how that applied to us in our own marriage. And then we're going to do a sort of AB, which is sort of going to be, the A is for sort of those that are married here or about to be married here uh, in the room. And then B, if you're single uh, Applying it into your life. Okay, so that's where we're going. Okay. Colossians 3, um, and I'm... Let's uh, put that slide up first. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. In a life... You once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Okay, so we're going to take each little bit of Scripture and then we're going to move on. So so this first part is about ridding ourselves of our old ways of acting. How do we do that? The thing is that In marriage, our partner comes to know us in ways that no one else ever before has known us. They see us first thing in the morning in a way that a lot of other people never see us. They see us after a stressful day at work and it's like you can't just say, oh, I think I'll just, you know, go to the pub and I'll just kind of forget. No, no, it's here, you're back home. It, it's there and it comes out. They see you in these times. They see you on the nights where you just haven't slept and you're just tired and you're grotchety and they see that. And there's no way of hiding it when you're married. Um, we might be able to curb our speech when we're out with friends or at church, but how is it when we're under the const- constant scrutiny, is it that our kind of disciplined barriers come down and the real me is suddenly exposed, okay? The me that I want others to see, yeah? We have a me, like, this is the bit I want you to see. This is the bit I want you to see, okay? Okay. It's very easy for me to be here. I can present a certain Matthew that is actually oh, is yes, quite articulate and, blah, 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 and he seems like he doesn't kind of lose his temper and so on and you know all those kind of things. It's very easy to do that. In a, it, it's a lot harder <laughs> when you are in a situation in, in the kind of goldfish bowl of being married because your partner sees you at all sorts of times. My duplicity, okay trying to be one thing and actually then kind of trying to say something profound and then actually, yeah, hang on, you were just swearing a minute ago. And now you're saying, you know, oh, God be praised. You know, it, 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 so my wife can pick that up. They could, she can say, that's inconsistent. Don't, don't give me that if actually you're doing that. And that's really what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know, actually let's get that, those old habits, let's get them out of the way. Let's, let's, let's move on in terms of the new nature that Christ has actually made us into. Is my walk with God just actually a glossy veneer covering up the same old, unredeemed nature underneath? Because if it is, it, it won't take long in marriage for it to kind of pop out <clears throat> and it's suddenly it's laid bare. Suddenly it's seen very clearly as to what that nature is. I can't put on... I can put on a pretense in certain situations. I can't do it 24-7 when I'm with my wife. The good thing is that God uses marriage to help us to be more like Christ. You know, I have a funny thing where I often, it's often I have single people who come to me and say, "You know, Matthew, um, I, I, I'd really like to be discipled more. You know, I, I feel like there's an area in my life I, I, I'd like a little bit more kind of contact, a little bit people kind of speaking into my life a bit more. I'd like that." The funny thing is, I almost never get it from married people. <laughs> I wonder why that is. <laughs> I'll leave you to think about that. <laughs> Okay, A, so this is a word for those that are married. Know that God has you in this role now to help you and your spouse to mature in Christ. So, in a kindly, good attitude, we need to be able to say to our partner, you, you you're getting a bit angry. You, you you're losing it there, okay? That is just calm down, okay? But in a nice way. It's not not in a kind of you know you're always doing this, but just a, a nice way of just actually helping us to yes, no, you're right, I am. It is bringing out some of the inconsistency, but in a very gracious way. And at first, it's it's something which is. More difficult to do. I think as you get, as you get along in your marriage, you actually realise that, that you get quite, quite good at that. You, get, you learn how to speak to one another in a, in a gentle way that produces good fruit, but actually helps your partner to, to kind of deal with some of these areas. Paul points out that part of our old nature has no place for us now. We need to get rid of that way of behaving. So now the B point for those that are currently single. <clears throat> don't wait until you're married. But get this area sorted out now. You know, I thought before I was married. We actually got married quite young. Um, which is why we look so young now. Obviously. <clears throat> I, thought, I thought I was an incredibly patient person. I really did. Didn't I? I, 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 I thought, <laughs> I thought Matthew, you know, my middle name's patience, you know, I'm a patient guy, and then I got married, particularly when I started having children, when we started having children, I think, oh, I can't believe how, how these things are causing me to kind of bubble over, and I realized that God had a lot more to do in my life. I want to say this important thing just to finish my first part, is that it's not just about self-discipline, okay? I can, I can order my life in such a way that some of those things never pop up. I can order my life in a very disciplined way to make sure that actually I've kind of got a grip on it so that they don't sort of, it doesn't sort of squeeze out the side. And I can just I can do that because I'm actually you can you can do it because you, you're ordered. That's not actually the answer, okay? Paul's not saying just get more ordered. He's saying no, no, get transformed. He's saying get transformed. Let the Holy Spirit get to work on you, so that no matter if it's a pressure cooker of a situation, whether it's at work. or or with the kids, or with your friends, or some illness, or some family crisis, or whatever it is, that actually, even though there's pressure, actually what's going to pop out isn't my old nature, but is actually going to be my new nature, which is going to be grace, and patience, and kindness. And that's the issue. It's not about self-discipline. It's about transformation in my in a man yeah did you hear that it's an important point um okay i'm now going to hand over to Anne, and Anne's going to take us on to the next two sections
1: so i'm going to read the next part of the scripture do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator I think this is such an important thing, um, not just in marriage, but in our lives, in our friendships, in our relationships, in our workplaces. Do not lie to each other. It's something that sounds simpler to do than it really is in practice at times. And uh, even in Christian circles, sometimes there can be a sense well, a little white lie, an omission. That's okay. I mean, after all, it's not doing any harm, doesn't do anyone any damage. And even in today's culture, this culture of not offending or not upsetting people, it can actually be seen as the kindest, most loving thing to do. But the problem is if you get into the habit of lying, if you get into the habit of covering up things, trying to um, avoid confrontation, trying to look good, um, it can actually become your automatic response. Um, It just makes that, you know, you can feel it's going to make life easier for myself. Um, And if it becomes your first response and you get into a difficult situation and your response is to wiggle out of it it by being less than honest, it can just our consciences eventually it's automatic there's no conscience and it just becomes the response that we give when we're in a corner so matt and i found in marriage there's many gray areas in this um and it's probably one of the biggest causes of mistrust lack of trust is like a cancer to marriage and it's absolutely lethal um so i'm just going to paint a little scenario um it goes back a long way, but I didn't really want to use anything too. <laughs> that, was, that was too close to the time. <laughs> so Very Matt much. is looking after our kids so I can go shopping. That, that may not seem like a big issue until you realise that I've left him with six kids aged between one and seven. <laughs> so you can see the dilemma. Um, so he's asked me, so how long are you going to be? So I said, well, I'll be a couple of hours, you know, I've got to go shopping, it might take a bit of time, and, you know, but I'll be, you know, I won't be too long. But I know that I'm intending to pop in and see a friend for a coffee, because I've had a bad week, I've had the kids all week, and after all, I really deserve to have a bit of downtime. But I haven't told him that, because I know he won't like it, because he's got things that he wants to do, and. It's it's quite a big ask to have, you know, when you're not used to looking after them, to have six kids for a whole afternoon. He was always very helpful and a real hands-on dad. But um, it, it is quite a big thing when they were all so small. And so I go away, come back. I'm an hour late from what I've said. The house is in uproar. Kids are stressed. Matthew's stressed. They're hungry. They're hyper. And he says to me, so you has been three hours. Yeah, I have. I'm relaxed. He says, uh, why were you so long?" Well, um, I popped in to see so-and-so. I mean, I've had, a, I've had a tough week. I've had the kids on my own all week, and I just needed a bit of space. So when did you decide to pop in and see so-and-so? Well, I actually called them this morning and asked if they'd be around for a coffee. Now, I knew that he'd be annoyed, I knew that he'd be upset with me, but I also knew we'd get over it, and I knew that actually I'd get my time and it was probably worth the angst. (laughs) The reality is, though, was I honest to him? Was I being dishonest? Well, yes I was actually. I was omitting something that I know was a fact and I knew that in my head I had an intention of doing this thing. And it may not seem like a big thing, but the next time I ask him to look after the kids for a couple of hours, he's going to say to me, so how long are you going to be? Or are you just going to be a couple of hours? You may be a bit more reticent to do it. And if I continue to do things like that and omit things, then that's going to break down our trust for one another and his trust of me. So I think, you know, the problem is that once you lose trust, it takes a long time to regain it again. And that's just a little example, but, you know, there can be other examples of lying about other things or saying you're somewhere when you're not. You know, little things. And sometimes you think, well, it's just a little thing. But if that person finds out, then they'll think, hmm. Well, they said that, but then this. And then they said that about this, but then this. And it doesn't take one or two little seeds of mistrust to turn into a really big thing. And um, it's really important that we stay honest and true with each other and that we can trust one another that when we say this is the situation, this is the situation. Um, We've been watching a series called The Good Doctor, which is about an autistic medic. (laughs) It's very good. And the last one that we watched is... He's trying to work out, why are people not honest to each other? In fact, why do they lie? And um, one of his conclusions was, because we don't care enough about the other person, we lie because it's easier for us, and we just hope we won't get found out. The trouble is that in a marriage, your spouse will get better and better, at reading you and they'll be able to tell when you're not being honest and when you're telling half truths. So for the married here I would say be honest. Better the discussion or angst beforehand. Explain why you are feeling like that or why you need to do this or why this happened rather than lie or omit detail. Be prepared to not get your own way. Maybe your partner has stresses and pressing things you don't know about. Money, time management, or some of the main stresses that can happen in a marriage. Do diaries often. Talk about budgeting. Make sure you're not hiding that blouse that you just saw in in TK Maxx. That was such a good deal, and you knew there wasn't really money for it. Um... And make sure that you actually are totally honest with each other. For those who are single, be aware of your hearts in this area. Learn and practice being honest and squeaky clean. It does affect your reputation. You don't want to get the name of someone who wriggles out of conflict by lying or omitting the facts. When you're tempted, just remember you may not know what that person knows already. They may know you're not being totally honest, but choose not to say. The truth often comes out later. We want to be above reproach and trustworthy and true and a blessing in all our circles of influence, whether that's friendship, uni, or work. So that's the first one. It's a bit heavy, isn't it? (laughs) Um, And the next scripture is, Therefore, as God's chosen people... These are the mainstays of a happy marriage. If you don't create an environment of kindness and forgiveness, you reap sharpness and judgment. We gain these qualities as we realize that we are so utterly undeserving of God's love and grace for us that he poured out his his life, his blood for us when we didn't deserve it and yet he showed us such grace and such mercy so surely we can show that to one another particularly those who we're closest to um, if you create this family relational attitude it will become increasingly something you want to get away from so if you have an attitude of judgement, an attitude of accusing, an attitude of a lack of kindness then people will want to walk away. They'll want to spend time elsewhere because actually it's nicer. They've got people that appreciate them more there than they do here. They listen to them more at work, you know, than they would here. Um, Proverbs eleven sixteen, a kind-hearted woman gains honour, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Sixteen twenty four, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy to the body. And 12.25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. So look for ways to exercise kindness. How can I bless my spouse? Can I cook a meal? Can I do the dishes? Can I do something that they normally do, that they don't particularly like doing and I don't like doing, but can I bless them? For those who are currently single, um, I would say look to develop these traits amongst your friends, your work colleagues, your family at home and, and you know, your closest relatives Develop ways of showing kindness. Think about it. Think about the best of people. It says in First Corinthians thirteen that if you, you read other translations, that love sees the good and possibilities that others cannot see. Be someone who sees the good in each other, in your friends that perhaps other people can't see. Be quick to forgive and don't hold grudges and life will go well for you.
0: Okay, Uh, that was point three. Point four. Let the peace of God, of Christ, rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to be peace and be thankful. This thing about being thankful. As you get older... There's lots of things that you find that you could do but now can't do so well. There's a lot of water under the bridge, as it were. Uh, And therefore, there's quite a lot to be thankful for. It's important to remind ourselves of the wonderful things that God has done for us. And I think it's easy, it, it can be easy, in a marriage, to actually, kind of as it progresses, to become a little bit begrudging. Kind of the opposite of thankful. You know, begrudging. It's not just begrudging to each other, but like, oh, we used to do that, but we don't do that anymore. We can't do that now. It, it, it's, you, you could say, well, you know, when you enter the children's stage, there's lots of things you used to be able to just think, oh, let's go out tonight. Yeah, let's go out tonight. Boom. You know, what have, all I've got to do is just basically... Contact, find out what's on at the cinema, or, or ring the restaurant, or whatever. You know, when I got kids, it's I've got to get the babysitter. I can't, is it going to work? I don't know. I don't know if they're available. It's a much harder process. Have you got any idea what holidays are like for parents? <laughs> we used to just laze on the beach or we used to go and visit historical interesting historical sites let's go and look around the museum for a couple of hours that sounds interesting (coughs) you know it's not very interesting for a three year old (laughs) so you actually have to adapt a lot of things um, and you have to kind of deal with this thing, you can end up where, oh, we can't do that. We used to do that. We can't do that anymore. And you can end up where you're just kind of like begrudging rather than thankful. And I, I just feel Paul is saying to us, you know, be thankful. It's like a command. Be thankful. Have a heart that's being thankful. What does that mean for me? Well, I don't know if you remember the kind of one foot in the grave Sitcom uh, of uh, Victor Meldrew, very well known, um, of kind of like is this sort of you know. I thought the last thing I want to do is end up like some grumpy old couple, like they kind of come across as. Um, so how do we do that? Well, as Christians, we rehearse, and we do. Anne and I rehearse regularly. Wonderful things. We might be in the car going somewhere. And we just say, "Thank God for that," and then she'll. Then Anne will say, Yeah, and thank God for that, and thank God for that, and thank God for that. And you know, it, it just changes. It changes us as we're like, Yeah, hasn't he? And we're like, You know what? Before not, we're like, Yeah, come on, let's kind of get it on, yank out the kind of the music, and we're going to kind of worship and praise God and declare his greatness. You know, Anne and I, you know, Anne's had quite a lot of problems with her. Um, frozen shoulders and stuff uh and that got to the point where and and kind of feet things where it was like we used to go for for hours we used to go walking uh up here you know up mountains and things and that's been a lot more restrictive and it can just get to oh we can't do that anymore you got to find ways through that you got to have a thankful heart you know and you know one of the things we've done is just we've Taken up cycling, which Anne can find that she can now do, which is great. So we, we pack the bikes and go. Anne does quite a lot of swimming. We, you've got to find other things and say, okay, we can't do that, but let's not focus on what we can't do. Let's focus on some of the great things that we can still do. It's it's about, for, for, those, for those of you that are married, point A, don't go down the negative route. Start to remember some of the good things. Be a glass and has helped me so much in my life be somebody who is a glass half full rather than a glass half empty she says that to me quite hot be someone who is a glass half full you know do you see the situation of, of oh yeah well there, we can't do that we can't do that we can't do that you know well, yeah, yeah It probably won't work out anyway you know or which is, sort of, which is kind of half empty you're seeing it from the kind of the negative up, or you you somebody who sees it from the positive? Yeah, but we can do this and this and this and this and this. Be like that, okay? If you're currently single, you can get in this habit yourself. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. There was a constant habit for for David and others even in difficult times where he would just start rehearsing the greatness of God and what he has done make that something that you actually do in your own life now yeah and the final and fifth point is let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is about admonishing one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns. Anne and I, Anne and I have now got in the habit of just regularly spending time with God each day. It was, it was a lot harder than when we had lots of young kids. But we set our alarm clock. We get to bed early. We set our alarm clock. We get up. And I go and make the coffee, and we we have coffee, and we go into two different rooms. I, we just the thing of kind of just praying together in the same room it just doesn't quite work for us. We go into two different rooms, and we kind of read different things, and we're praying about different things, and we're listening to different worship music. Um, and we try and set aside you know an hour to two hours every day. We worship and we pray. And then later on, maybe going to work or maybe in the evening, we'll just share about what God's talking to us about. What did you read this morning? What, what, did, what did God speak to you about this morning? And, and we'll just start sharing some of those things. And we we'll just start kind of, and it's like a wealth that we're singing. We're admonishing one another with psalms and songs and, and scripture and truth. <clears throat> and, and, and it And it's very... Enriching, so that our lives and our marriage—it's not just focused on, you know, well, have you heard from the kids this week? No, I haven't, you know. So, you know, all that kind of thing, or, or, you know, what, what should we do in the house in terms of, you know, decorating or whatever it is. But actually, it's focused around something else that is really there's a dynamic of God, and we can go on doing that until the day we die, which is very exciting. If you're married. You need to find ways of making it easier for your partner to grow in this. When Anne had a lot of kids and she was looking after the kids, it was, it was hard to actually find. And she was like, you know what? you know, The idea of going off to a room for an hour was like a joke. You know, The kids were around her all the time. But you know what we used to do on a Saturday morning? I used to say, look, I tell you what, I'm going to take the kids out and you're going to have some time with God. And we'd actually look at, and we've got to help one another to find ways to make this happen. I would try and get time in my lunch hour, and I would take the car off when I was working as a social worker, and I'd go off for an hour, and I would just sit down, and that was my time in the car, often watching the sea. If you're, I I think the, the B point, for those that are, Aunt married. start young on this. Get it under your belt early on. Even if you've got sort of harder moments, um, I think it's a bit like exercise. Once you start doing it, you kind of your body starts to go. You know, I I feel agitated because I haven't done it, and I do feel the same happens about reading the Word of God and spending time with Him. The more I do it, the more I crave it. I can use that word. And that's a good thing. That actually I've got an appetite that says, I have an appetite that says, ooh, I feel a bit hungry. I feel like I haven't had that yet and I want to make sure where am I going to get that in my day? And I think it's just helpful to develop that in your own life. So in conclusion, we can do a lot to prepare for marriage even when Maybe we haven't got any prospective kind of uh, partner insight, but you can get some of these disciplines into your life now. It will be a lot easier later on, and we can buck the trend of some of these divorce stats by being Christians that are truly know Christ and make him central in our lives he's not just a nominal kind of on the edge but actually he's central i just want to say it whether you end up getting married or not it will go well with you you're building really good solid foundations into your life should we stand thank you Lord why don't you just close your eyes a moment Lord again we just thank you for what you did for us on the cross how this isn't about us trying harder This isn't about us trying to be more like you. This is about the fact that you have transformed us on the inside. Something you have done. And we live out of the good of that. You have changed our nature. And we want to live out of the good of that. Lord, I pray right now for each and every one here that they... That your Holy Spirit comes and stirs each person, each man, each woman. That you stir us at a deep level. And you help these things to to blossom. That we may be uh, like trees planted by the water that blossom. And we say, how much better if we're married, how much better it will be. How much... more wonderful it will be in our marriages if we actually are blossoming for Christ in these things. And for those of you that are single, I just pray, God, Lord, I pray, Lord, I thank you, God. These are just great principles, great foundations that we put into our life that are just as true for us. Uh, And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you'd help people to just be, glowing in this that your spirit would come in a very powerful way uh, and you would do a deep work of your grace
1: yeah father i thank you that it all is all by grace i thank you that none of us deserve what you've given us but you know each of us individually you've called us each by name and lord that it is you who will continue and complete the work of Jesus Christ in us until the end. And God, I pray that uh, we'd have sensitive hearts, sensitive consciences. I pray that wherever we are, whether it's our our marriage or our workplace or um, our uni or our school, Lord, that um, he'd help us to be people who are full of integrity, who are above reproach, who carry that... Um, carry you with them wherever they go and are a good testimony to all who meet. That we would bless, we would bless those that come across us. Amen.
0: Amen.